So, Berto, have you seen The Room, the famous, terrible, you know, it's the most famous, terrible movie of all time, I think. Have you seen the movie The Room? You mean Room? Like, where it's, like, scary with the mom and the... Well, have you seen that, actually? No, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> it's actually a really good movie. I heard it is. Yeah. yeah. But have you seen The Room? You mean that horror movie, The Room? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, well, I thought in this episode we would... T- I know you did, because we actually saw it together. Uh, you dragged me to it, and I enjoyed it. Kicking and screaming. And so I thought we'd talk about that. I, I also thought we'd talk about Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero and and their relationship. Because, Greg Sestero. Because it's, it's portrayed in the new movie, The Disaster Artist, by James Franco. And, mm-hmm. and he produced and directed and... Yeah. That, that sort of thing. So what do you say we do that today? We analyze Tommy Wiseau definitively. What do you say? Psychology of Tommy's Room. Yeah. I love it. This is the Psychology and Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Berto? My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I run a little flower shop in San Francisco. Today, we have a spe- we have two special guests with us back on the podcast, the Unpopular Culture Podcast people. Uh, Woo! Woo! Fu- future Dr. Michael Drain. Hello. And maybe a future Dr. Corey Definitely Stewart. Oh, star. I like it. Yeah. Sounds it, good. Is it that they're the unpopular people from the culture <laughs> podcast? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So are there better people in that podcast that we should be inviting? No. Yeah. <laughs> More popular people? No. Yeah. The, We're all the podcast. <laughs> the podcast is actually just called Culture, and these are the unpopular, <laughs> unpopular version yeah. of the culture. That's podcast. Exactly yeah, like right. the room, we are hilariously bad. <laughs> I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so I thought I would ask a bunch of questions of y'all, and just get your individual responses. But before that, I just want to b- provide some caveats. We're going to spoil both movies, both Spoilers. like a lot, both Spoilers. the room and the disaster artist. Although y- you could have spoiled <laughs> these two movies for me, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't <laughs> have, have, yeah, it wouldn't have affected anything. Right. What? True. what if, what, what if I had said he's going to pat the dog's head? Wouldn't yeah. that have ruined the whole thing? Also, there's. I, I just want to say a huge caveat to all this in that. We're going to get into conversations about Tommy Wiseau's personality, and since you and I, Drain, are clinicians, we have to say that we have no idea who this person is. We've never assessed him, and it's all filtered through the media. Now, Berto and Corey, you can say whatever you want because no one can sue you for completely off the hook. Yeah, making false statements about Woo! about people's personalities. Yeah, I love being the lay person. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so just keep all that in mind that all the data we have on his personality is through movies and interviews and guest appearance appearances and uh, and if it's anything I know I know that that is uh, very questionable data particularly when you have a guy like Tommy Wiseau who is very much aware of the fact that he's on camera and very much is trying to portray himself in a particular way. But I think we can say some things about his personality. But anyway, before we get to his personality, let's just overall, Berto, what do you think of The Room? What's what's your – did you like it? Did you not like it? What's your relationship with the movie? Bluff. Okay. Is this a tougher bluff? Not it is quite. not. Okay, okay. Then let me think this. Oh, yeah. So overall, when I, when I first saw it, I was totally blown away with laughter. Like I, I haven't laughed that hard in When a while. did you see it the first time? Uh, 
earlier this year, like before the summer or something like that, like okay. in May, I think it was. So you're not an early adopter. No, no. I had. You know what though? It turns out I had seen that poster. Do you remember that they mentioned that he had? Taken out a billboard yeah. on Hollywood uh, for five years or something. Five years? Yeah, for five years. That thing sat there in one of the main areas. It must have cost him a fortune. Why would he have put it there for, f- like, hoping DVD sales or something? No, no. There was, it was always playing at least at one theater at midnight. Oh. And, and it had his phone number or something. But the weird thing is, when I first, Ron, my friend Ron invited me to go see it, I saw the poster of it. Because didn't Ron see it back in the day? No. Oh. No, he also well, uh, not back in the day, but he did discover it not too long ago. But he's like, "Hey, you need to come with us to go see the room." And I'm like, "Okay." And I saw the poster, I looked it up online, and I was like, "Oh, I think this is that horror movie I heard about." And I don't know why it looks so familiar. And now I've pieced it together that I, I used to go to LA for work all the time selling my flowers, and I used to drive probably that that route. So, how many times have you seen it? Oh, by now I've seen it two and a half times. And do you like it? Oh, I love it. I what love what it. would be your rating out, uh, out, of, out of 10 Birdos? Yeah, I'd give it zero. <laughs> or maybe you have some weird con- convoluted system like out of 13 and a half Birdos. <laughs> no, no, no. It's 3.141592 out of 10 Birdos. <laughs> it's Pi Birdos? Pi Birdos. Um, no, seriously, what, what number? No, I mean, I would probably give it a... a, a I mean, okay, if I was evaluating it, like, in a vacuum as, like, movie quality, uh, I might have given it a one. But entertainment value, it's like, uh, I don't know, like an eight worth of entertainment value. Right. For me, it's it, it's the hardest movie to rate because yeah. it is the most definitive one out of ten that's ever been made. <laughs> yeah. It's like the worst of the worst. <laughs> it's terrible. It, it's, it's worse than some of the movies I've given a one rating to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it is well worth watching. It's highly entertaining. <laughs> at, at least once, particularly in a crowd of people who are all enjoying it with you. Right. Now, I will say there are three different ways to watch it. You can watch it by yourself, which I think would be entertaining in and of itself. Two, you can watch it at one of the crowd movie theaters the way we all did last week. But that's a different experience because you can't really hear the dialogue and everyone's screaming and yeah. and th- you know there's they have to have the subtitles at the bottom because otherwise you wouldn't be able to to know what's happening. Uh, but but that's fun. But then right. watching it with friends in your living room, I think, would be a different another experience because then you can actually hear the dialogue. And stuff. I've done like the first time I saw it was in the big crowd, but we were sitting really close to the front, oh. so I actually heard most of the dialogue. Unlike when we went, where we were in the back and. Yeah. You know, a lot of it wasn't heard. Did the, you get hit with spoons when you were Yes, in totally pelted with spoons. And then the second time I watched it, um, although I didn't finish watching it because we had to turn it off and stuff, was with friends. And that was also fun. Yeah. And this last so, time was with the crowd. So before I go to Corey and Drain about what your ratings are, I just want to say, you've if you don't know this movie, you've probably seen some clips or memes or something. There's a man with long, dark hair and kind of a pale face. He has sort of a skeletor-looking, yeah, sort of a vampire-ish-looking face. And he, there's, there's two infamous scenes, one where he's saying, You're tearing me apart, Lisa! <laughs> or the other one is... Um, I did not hit her. I did not hit her. <laughs> it's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's not true. I uh, did not hit I, her. I did not. I did I, not. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, oh, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Yeah. Um, 
Which, by the way, I'm predicting that, like after Austin Powers and Borat, all the douchebags were quoting this for years to come. I think we're. I've gonna- already started. Yeah. <laughs> no, I lived through 2003 and completely missed this movie. But yes, I'm sure it happened. Yeah. So, so Corey, bef- let's just go. Let's do a different horn system this time. <laughs> what, what, what did you think of the movie? What, you, because you, you'd never seen it before. Right. I just saw it very recently. Had you heard of it before? Never in my life. Had you seen the memes? No. So you, you went in completely dry. Totally blind. Berto said to me that it was a horno. A horno. And so a I horno. got my popcorn and my red wine and it was great. And <laughs> what'd you think well, as you're watching it? It was bizarre. As you were talking about like the three different ways that you could watch it, I would say like definitely don't re- recommend watching it by yourself. And I thought the only way to do it was how we did it with <laughs> audience interaction, screaming. Maybe I wouldn't appreciate it unless all these people were there. You gotta have it. Like my friend Ron yeah. said that well, the first time he was watching it was like at home by himself and he thought it was stupid. Right. Oh. But... I yeah. think once you get, he said he was drunk too. Well, okay, that may not help. But, <laughs> but so, no, so Drain, what do you think? <laughs> this turns into a performance piece. Basically, you have uh, the interaction of all the audience. You have to have that. You have to have people throwing spoons, and when certain actors walk in, they all start chanting their name. I also didn't know what this place was. Walked right. in completely blind. He told me it was a horno, and I was <laughs> like, "Oh God, here we go!" And uh, yeah, how did no, you interpret that? I, I, how do you interpret Berto? I thought we were <laughs> like you just kind of go okay, cool. So we'll I see. thought we were at a really hip like Capitol Hill theater that was just trying to be like ironic and show mm. like a bad movie, right? But the audience interaction was like, where am I? Like, did I just am I supposed to be here? Well, and the reason I told like a him, club. <laughs> the reason I told them Horno is because I wanted to first of all let them know or uh, misdirection about it being a horror movie so I said like it's kind of a horror movie because it looks like you know when you see the guy's face you're like I think that's a horror movie Aww. in fact the, the, well, the whole the whole feedback he kept getting early on when he was trying to be an actor was you should be a villain right right <laughs> but then I also I, I think as I was telling them that some uh, didn't they weren't they showing scenes and some of it was like they were showing, showing scenes before the movie started yeah and some it was of it was like scene. the nudity sex scenes and so I was like, oh, yeah, it's like a horno, <laughs> you know, porno. Dude, thank you, because that suspicion of just constantly waiting for someone to die was weird. It put me right. in like a weird place to watch that movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does not match the the poster because it doesn't have no. any horror in it at all. No. Well, the, the first thing was that delicious interview that they played. They interviewed Tommy Wiseau. That was That so was weird. the first thing I saw. I thought it was the movie. And I was like, and he's like, so why did you, and they're naming, they're, 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 Trying to give him like gotcha questions, like so. Why did you name it the room? And he will give this long, kind of rambling answer <laughs> as if he's making it up as he's going along with the motivation of impressing the person he's talking to. Yeah, you know. Yeah, why would you name it the room? Makes no sense. And two, why would you market it from the beginning before it became a cult or a a, a so bad it's good movie? Why would you market it with his face just sort of? You know, right? looking at the at the you know camera that yeah. that iconic was so face. Right, he just he thinks he's that. being sexy. Yeah, but it's he, coming off as like really intense. Yeah, as like horror, like scary. Yeah, right. I, I I totally agree because um, I actually like I said I had gotten it confused with maybe a few different movies that I had heard about. So in my mind, I was like, oh yeah yeah yeah, I've been meaning to see that movie. It's like a horror movie, right? And Ron never told me, never corrected me, of course. But you know, when the movie starts. 
I Like You was probably, I don't quite remember now, but I'm imagining I was like waiting for the, but immediately it's evident I have not walked into a normal movie. Right. I, I thought it was going to be a legitimate movie. Like yeah. I was like, okay, Yeah, I thought that interview was part of the movie because I didn't know why it was happening or Those that it just, was like so yeah. And then that turn, that slow realization that this movie is something very wrong. And everybody very knows different. and I'm on the outside of the joke. Yeah. That, that interview that you were seeing. That was from the DVD. They were like playing oh. extras oh. from the DVD. I see. Nice. So I just want to mention that I there's another movie that I sit that I would say definitely contends with the room as the best bad it's good movie. Oh it's gosh. called Miami Connection. An, <laughs> a, another another foreign non-American guy decided to make an American movie. I think he's from Vietnam or or China or well, something. What do you mean? Are you Tommy confirming so that Tommy's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah. American? Wait, yeah. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> he apparently did confirm it on accident. He's finally. from. I'm from oh, New he Orleans. Did. Yeah, he was giving an interview what? with James Franco on Conan or one of those. It, it was Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel. Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. And then he's like, "So where are you from?" And he's like, "Well, you know, I'm originally from Europe, but you know, I went to New Orleans." And James Franco, who I was listening to an interview of him today, he was like, "Didn't." Didn't call him out, but his mind was exploding. He's like, he's never admitted that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, so, yeah. So that's another thing. If you don't know anything about Tommy Wiseau is that basically this guy appears out of nowhere and has this and is very shady about his past and never wants to talk about it, but claims that he grew up in New Orleans, which, <laughs> which is supposed to explain his, his accent, <laughs> but it clearly is not a, a, not a Louisiana accent. And he's and he's people would say his accent now his accent actually is less than it used to be if you is hear it? him talk. Yeah, about that's it. true. But if you think about how is that <clears throat> how his accent was before he even made the room, you know, right. it would have been. And they they think he's probably from Poland. Is like that's where they're placing his accent. I see. And he is in California, and he's also claiming he's about twenty years younger than he probably is. Yeah. <laughs> like at the beginning of the movie, he says he's nineteen or something. Right. Yeah. Uh, of, Same of, as you. Yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and he has millions what's, of dollars. What problem? That's no problem. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. And he has millions of dollars that he claims he made selling jeans. Don't worry about it. Which is which is which is not likely. Uh, which points to potential nefarious means, right? right? Like yeah. everything's going to turn out okay. Yeah, now, so, I suppose so, it does, but that's not where and, my and, mind went. And he decides to make a movie because he he's having a hard time getting acting jobs, and he yeah. want, so he so because he has all this money, he just funds this movie and writes it himself, and and he just strong arms this movie into existence with right. his with his money and his will. But he has no one helping him. There's no one helping him with the dialogue. There's no one helping him with <laughs> directing. There's no one helping with the technical side. They like, try. <laughs> they try, but he's but he doesn't. He's it's so haphazard, and it ends up costing the, you know six million dollars to make the movie. But when you watch it, it looks like. I mean, people say like it looks like it was made for sixty bucks, but honestly, like if you think about paying like <laughs> all the camera yeah, work, all the you got to figure out. like I don't know two hundred grand maybe or something. The cancer treatment, <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially when you do things like build an alley yeah. instead of using the alley, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which actually but, happened. By the way, there's there's an online <laughs> rumor that, uh, or you know, some people that actually are like, you know what, he might actually be Dracula. Because, you know, they're, they're things like, you know, he's got this Eastern European accent. He looks like Dracula. He looks, I mean, sure, he's looking older, but he could be 
thousands of years old. He's got all this mysterious bottomless pit of money. And, you know, he comes from New Orleans recently, which is probably where Dracula would have lived. So they're like, actually. Well, gee, spoil my whole analysis of his personality. Why don't you? Oh, sorry. sorry. I still got some stuff. <laughs> Just joking. But anyway, so let's go around the horn. Why is this movie good? Because it's hard to, it's hard to explain. understand how a movie could be. So- Miami Connection is similar to this. Uh-huh. So, Corey, why is this movie good? Uh, it's good because it's like gifable, like you were saying. It's so memeable, and that's probably the only thing that it has. Other than for me personally, I would give it a ten because it's like exponentially good. It starts really, really bad. But why is it? But gif-able? each time you watch it, it's amazing. Why is it gifable? Because they're just they're so bad. Everything that he says is so. But there's funny. a lot of bad things, you know. Like I was thinking about this because because if you watch like a bad telenovela or something, those are bad too. Like if you just yeah. or a bad soap opera or a you know. You're watching it and you're like, man, this is awful. I don't want to watch this. It's it's laughable how stupid this is. But it, but you They're don't still on like level two compared to this. But you, right, so you don't. But it doesn't. You don't want to go to a midnight showing of All My Children. You know, bad <laughs> episodes of General Hospital. What is it about this movie that makes it so bad and also so good? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. sort of a weird thing to put your finger on. You just know that it's good. So, yeah. Like to to me, there's there's two aspects that might help explain it. One of them is so you you guys are probably familiar with the term the uncanny valley when it comes to yeah. representing a human being. But if you're doing it, let's say you're doing a 3D graphics human or a robot or something, your mind is so attuned to real human faces and emotions and things that if it's not quite right, you start feeling sort of uneasy. Like, oh, it sort of looks human, but it's kind of creepy. Are you saying that you're not? You're able to pick up that they're not genuine? Because... Uh, like in a, in a normal... Like when, when you see like an, an android way. and it's not quite right. Yeah, like your mind just knows and it feels uneasy. So I think a lot of times when movies are not good, they ride that uncanny valley between being good and being bad. So they're trying and they just... The lines, they don't just don't deliver... But so what you feel is you feel uneasy. But this movie crosses right over that uncanny line and goes all the way to another extreme. So you don't have to feel uneasy. You could just like be there like in wonderment of how this even came to be. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna explode. <laughs> I have to talk. All right. <laughs> so it is that it takes itself too seriously. Yeah. It's how seriously they're trying to take themselves, which a soap opera would do too, right? <laughs> So what's the difference there? They're adding all this other stuff. And honestly, I don't think we would have had the same experience if the four of us had been sitting around at home watching this compared right. to... Right. Can I just interject that like the power of suggestion is huge here? Right. Exactly. So what ha- I think what I think a big part of it is the way that we saw it. It's We saw it in an interactive way right. where the whole audience was in on it. Right. They were all shouting lines along, Greg Sestero... And then they were, like, throwing spoons. They had one scene where they rewinded it, like, five times. That Honestly, if I had just been watching it at home drinking a beer with you guys... Would have missed it. Probably would have completely missed it. Interesting. That's why it's gifable. They're short and quick. Yeah. I, and I'm sure you could do this with All My Children. But it wouldn't... As, as much as it pains me to say, I think quality-wise, All My Children is probably somewhere above... But, but you see, it's right, also right, right, like right. Tommy's personality attributes to it. When you recognize like who he is as a human being, it's like so cool to poke holes at the entire movie. Yeah, see, this is I do disagree on this a couple of fronts. First of all, I did have the exper- the experiment of trying it with people, not at a at the communal theater, but just 
couple people watching on TV, and I didn't prompt them at all, and they were laughing their asses off. Nice. Now, that could just be them, to be fair. But how, many I will people say, was in, how many people were there? Just like three. You and three other people? No, me and two other people. Okay. Now, and, and I was the only one who had seen it. Now, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. What was, yeah, this, okay. what was the setup? Did you like sit him down and were you like, okay, well, you I told like, you have now? to watch this movie. Oh, okay. And, and it was like, I didn't have, they didn't look at anything online. I didn't tell them, oh no, but it's because of this. Like, I just said, you have to watch this movie. Okay. Now, of course, I was laughing too, but I wasn't like leading them in the laughter. You know, I was, but, but that's just my first point. My second point is this. All the examples with the soap operas, things like that. Take a scene like, like when uh, Greg Sestero says, oh, the, this girl dated these 12 guys and then they found out about each other. They beat her so bad she ended up in the hospital. In a normal, quote unquote, bad movie, the next reaction is, oh, that's terrible. And then you as an audience member feel on the uncanny valley of like, that's not very right. good. The tone is off. His, yeah. his, he's a little culturally yeah, off. Right. Maybe it's not entirely cultural, but, but in this he's case, a little off. His, he's a little tone deaf to his own <laughs> script that he wrote. Exactly. And that's, one of, the mess, that's yeah. one of the layers on there, too. So it's the bad writing. It's how off he is. So, so what you're talking about, there's, there's a scene where he's talking about how this girl was beat up in an alley. And it's, you know, obviously the reaction would be, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Or oh, that yeah, sucks yeah, right. or whatever. Instead, <clears throat> he just busts up laughing. Right, but that's what I'm trying to get at. Is like in a normal bad movie, you would have a quote unquote correct reaction, but just poorly acted or the the words yeah, are right. not quite right. right. That's a but good call. But this guy doesn't say, "Oh, that's too bad." Uh, whatever his name is, uh, yeah. Mark. Yeah. So you're instead he's like, oh, ha, ha, ha. but that that's crazy. <laughs> what? <laughs> that is so beyond uncanny. Like that's like alien. That's like an alien said that. Yeah. So I think that's part of what makes it just inherently funny. I yeah, got a big that's true. One, the the one where they all stand around and toss around the football that happens like what two or three times <laughs> yes. throughout the movie, and I think that may be what people think Americans do when they all stand <laughs> yeah. around and talk. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. that's true. a good point. It's the um. Yeah, he call he calls it playing football, <laughs> right? Which it's, it's playing football. It's not playing football. No. It's, it's it's tossing a football very close to each other. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, you're just like five yards from each other, just kind of tossing a football <laughs> to each other. Well, and then there was the, you know, there's the choices of like during the acting and the, and the directing and stuff, but the editing also made choices. And for example, there was that whole scene of them, quote unquote, playing football in their tuxes, right? And as <laughs> if you watch the movie... At first, you think, "Oh, this must be the day of the wedding." Yeah, yeah, right. You must have skipped That's forward. True. Yeah, yeah. Or and then it's like, no, it's not the day of the wedding, and that never gets explained. Yeah, <laughs> they weren't trying on the tuxes. Yeah. It's completely unexplainable. Yeah. Yet in the editing, that just slipped right in. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I, I think. <laughs> oh I, my god, you're right. I think you're all right. I think <laughs> I think it's gifable. I think the uncanny uncanny valley thing I think does make sense. Uh, but I think the main thing that I focus on is is what you're saying, Drain, in terms of the cultural divide, and and I'm and this is why and this is actually one of the things that I think is a problem with the fact that you have a bunch of Americans just laughing their asses off to this. I was I was laughing mm. my ass off to this movie, mm. but afterwards when I was trying to figure out why is this so funny. And after a while, and I haven't heard this connection, I'm sure people are making it, is it's sort of like a real-life Borat. Right. Hmm. Yeah. You know, Borat, Sasha Baron Cohen, <clears throat> Cohen plays a man from, from an eastern or, you know, yeah. southeastern country, uh, uh, European con- you know, land that doesn't understand Western culture, comes here, 
and is trying to fit in and he's right. trying to interact but but he's always screwing it up and it's and it's hilarious because he's a stupid foreigner who doesn't understand this but it, it, it's a and I'm saying that you know in quotes yes, of course but it's also funny because he is also bringing out people's sort of bad side you know like he'll bring out their racist side like throw the Jew in the well do you remember that from the movie <laughs> You know, and all these Southerners in America are singing along with this, you know. And so there's a there's a number of layers to it. But one of the layers is what a, you know, stupid, podunk, rural, out-of-touch out uh, foreigner and aren't foreigners from this particular part of the world uh, funny and stupid, you know. Right. It's similar to, like, Chrissy on Three's Company. It's like, oh, aren't blonde, aren't ditzy blonde women funny? You know, right. and so, uh, so when we watch Tommy Wiseau, he's a real life Borat. He is f actually from a faraway land. We don't know exactly where, but somewhere that clearly doesn't really understand Western culture. Or an even worse proposition here is he's intellectually disabled, which I want to actually bring right. up as a possibility. He did mention his accident. Right. Or, yeah. Well, or he just is born that way because not everyone from you know Eastern Europe is that clueless to what. I mean, there's a lot of you know, for example, Polish artists who totally yeah. understand how to uh, you know not make a movie like yeah, this. Yeah. Let's just say, and so there are two. So there's two things that I think is is hilarious to watch is because like as soon as especially if you know he's from another country especially if you know he wrote it and directed it and you know and you're like look at this foreign ridiculous human because you have to admit that's a major element of the of the comedy he's a he's a foreign ridiculous human trying to act like he's not foreign and trying to act like he's not ridiculous right when he is so ridiculous and I hate to I hate to put a you know a bummer way to bring a snake like, all over wow. it, Kirk. What it? But, <laughs> no, but you're right. It's you're still right. funny. I mean, I'm still laughing at it. But I'm just saying that I think that is actually the main thrust of the humor. Uh, you know, when I was living in Colombia, there were many uh, uh, humorous shows made in Colombia that would feature a token gringo. Yeah. <laughs> and he was always made fun of in a gringo way. Right. He was like a sort of a comedy relief sort of character. Yeah. And it was usually, you know, uh, he would talk in Spanish like, Hola, yo soy de los Estados Unidos. ¿Qué pasa aquí? And he was usually tall and lumbering and sort of didn't get the humor. And, you know. It was yeah, they, they do the same thing in Japan. Right. They, they have entire comedy shows for Japanese people in which they get an American on the show and the American tries to speak Japanese and tries to do yeah. things on the show. And it's just hilarious because it's basically an entire country laughing at a foreigner who can't do things in their language and can't do right. things in their culture. But, and and I, think the, I think the room, when we watch it, I think a major – I think there are other elements to it because it's also just – I think another element to it that um, we haven't mentioned yet is that there are bad productions and then there are like bad – uh, bad art that's made very there's you can tell that there was a lot of money spent on this thing you yeah. know what I mean it's like but money spent all in the wrong ways <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean yeah because it still comes out looking like the abstinence video from church I had to watch that one time <laughs> right but you can tell like oh that set is expensive 
and that it's just you, the wrong kind of expense. And the, they, you <laughs> know, they have frame. they have lighting, and they actually yeah. have crane shots. You can you can tell like there's cameramen yeah. actually. You know, it's not just like someone holding a video camera. So anyway. and there's an unnecessary amount of actors in the mo- and actresses in the movie because right. he had money but no organizational ability to right, spend right, it properly. Right. right, which we see laid out in the Disaster Artist, which really just right. Seeing the room and then the disaster artist right afterwards was just like the best movie combo I've ever yeah, seen. It was great. I, I I will say though because I think you are onto something. At the same time, like the characters I was mentioning in Colombia, those are played by actors trying to be that ridiculous. Borat is played by an actor trying to be that ridiculous. But Tommy Wiseau is a real person, right? Yeah. Now maybe that makes it worse to laugh at him. It, it, it right? Yeah. So so let's let's forget about the foreign aspect because I think that's relevant. But also let's imagine that. Because he appears not to have the sharpest tax. Yeah, I want I want you to go back to the intellectual disability. What kind yeah. of uh, where are you seeing that? I, I mean, you know, people like to speculate as to which or whatever. Yeah, I'm just gonna say there. And again, I've never assessed him, and God knows he could be the biggest genius on the planet, given you know what he's done. Right. But I think you one could make a case that there's a strong hypothesis and some data that suggests that. His he's not the smartest person. Yeah. You know, he has a lot of drive. He wanted to be an actor. He wanted to make a movie, but he has a hard time figuring out the right thing to do. I mean, who shoots in HD and film on this when everyone buying the cameras <laughs> when and when everyone around him is like, don't why. Like you can't even light it. Correctly. So, it, but so it's the bad decision. But then it's backed up with he always has this like reaction formation type defense mechanism where he kind of goes like, well, I did, I just did that because I wanted to. I no, I meant to do that. Right, kind of his his answer for everything. Right, but when you pile all the decisions and and his reaction again, we're looking at it through. Greg Sestero's book that was made into a movie. Right, that which was, you got to consider his motives at the time you right. made that. That was so has said is 99.9% accurate, which I find also to be funny because there's no way that movie is 99.9% <laughs> He would say that, though, because he he's the kind of guy who would, would say just it. say shit, <laughs> yeah. you know, because it might sound good in the moment. Right. He wants people to see the movie because it, it furthers his career and all likelihood, again, speculation. But anyway, my point is, is that who makes a movie like that, then releases it thinking it will be nominated for an Oscar? I mean, yeah. you know... I. It, there's narcissism, which we could talk about as well. Yeah, that's not what this is. That though. that's not narcissism. No, that's like that's, you're you're not making connections. It's almost like a inferiority uh, sort of. Like so a, it could be a psychological issue, but and that's definitely another hypothesis. But I think there's evidence for he he has a low IQ or some or some cognitive problems that lead him that that you could you could when you look at everything that that he did. A lot of the things you could see is like, oh, maybe it's a result of low IQ, which is, again, if that's true, then another reason why it's sort of a problem that we're all laughing our asses off at. Yeah, that's true. Now, he's laughing his his self to the bank right now. And and he actually has been, because as as I listen to more interviews and stuff like that, you know the movie shows that at the premiere everyone laughed and that he changed his perspective I thought that was an exaggeration like oh clearly that wasn't that but what I've heard is that he actually immediately embraced like you're saying 
How he's like, oh, yeah, I meant to do it that way. And he immediately started promoting himself and the movie in that way as a cult sort of underground thing. And, and then, and then it actually got in rotation across the world for years. So we're coming super late to the party because tons of audiences have actually been watching his movie for years. Now, that shows some kind of ability to plan and comprehend that's not quite consistent with what we think of him from having made that but movie. But if he had the money that he had, if he has a low IQ, it's probably in like the 80s or something. It's, yeah. It's not particularly low. No, but it's it, not, we're not talking 70. Yeah, we'd, we'd be it, talking like 80. It'd 85. be something that would like affect his decision making and his ability. And But, but with all that money, he would be able to just kind of wander through the world and do shit and but it, see what works out and whatever doesn't, it's fine. But, but it does require a little bit of... Because you see a lot of movies that go terribly bad and you don't see the directors necessarily, the whoever's, react in a way to embrace that and sort of make the best out of it. Um, I do have one theory, though, which is that in the movie, this may not be real, right? But in the movie, remember, he says, um, I got in an accident and that changed my life. Like he was doing, you know, he was just wandering around. He got in a bad accident and that made him want to go back to his passion, right? Yeah. So my hypothesis is he was a little more normal and he got in a really bad accident, got a big settlement that gave him a lot of money, but but and, he also lost some some brain capacity in the process. You, but is it possible he could have gotten ten million out of a depending on the accident? One accident, depending on the accident. I mean, is that possible? And we also don't know if it was six million, right? That's the rumored figure, but we don't know. But I, I do know that like the way that that was put in the movie was not just like yeah, I got an accident. It was like I was in an accident that changed my life, and that sounds like. A bad accident. And Lord knows, uh, traumatic brain injury can have any number of personality yeah. changes, all, yeah. all kinds of things. Because th- it's not just that he has an accent. He also says kind of slurs his words. You there know? is a slur there, so maybe pr- some kind of paralysis. or It's possible. His it's eye is lazy. Plausible. He's got a little bit of a lazy eyelid, you know? Yeah, that's a weird one, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's true, though. So, like, a, like a Bell's right. palsy sort of thing going on, maybe. Right. So we have to take a break. When we get back, let's analyze his personality. What do you say? All right. Okay, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of the podcast, do so now. Go to patreon.com. When you become a patron to the podcast, you don't have to listen to all the stupid commercials, which is kind of nice, and you get access to all of our premium episodes. And you can also go to patreon.com to become a stalker for the Unpopular Culture Podcast, as I am. Hell yeah. Oh, thanks, That's Kirk. right. Thank yeah, you, Kirk. Is. You get early access to things and exclusive access to some behind-the-scenes kind of interviews and stuff. Did so. you get your posters, by the way? Yes, I did. Uh, they were signed by you guys. Didn't yeah. I text you? Like, no. I, th- I thought I texted you. How do you? I no. become a stalker? I waited all day, but no. <laughs> just kidding. How do I become a stalker? It's Patreon. Patreon. Oh, okay. But you guys call them stalkers. We just try to be flashy about it. I forgot to do it. So it's my bad. You, you guys no. made an amazing uh, episode recently on Slender Man. Thanks, man. I appreciate uh, that. It's been interesting to see you develop your style as a podcast. And the Slender Man episode, I thought was as I was listening to it, I was just so impressed with the whole thing. And you've really set a high bar for every episode beyond this. Oh. I hope oh, you realize yikes. that. Wow. You know, so like not only was it well written and like had a really great storyline to it. You, you know the whole Slenderman oh, yeah. thing and the two girls who killed yeah. their friend. And but you had like great music that was Unique, I think. I don't think I've ever heard that style of music on it's a podcast. It's because I wrote it. I know. But like <laughs> oh, but, that's cool. but the 
the music, you know, the choices that you made, I thought were very unique, you know, and it was like sparse and like appropriate to the mood making and the, and the interviews that you included. I mean, that always takes a ton of work. It was just like pulling those audio files and like fitting them in the right place. And because, you know, you probably had to look at hours and hours of hours footage so much. to so like much. okay which one do we include you know interviews with the kids interviews with the the you know the the prosecutor or whatever anyway so i i, I thought it was amazing um i don't envy you though because now every episode you make <laughs> right basically has to re- it requires hundreds of hours of yeah. work now yeah. i know so we can't I start, help it should i start adding music to our podcast like yeah while yeah. we're talking well but it has to match the mood yeah that so, might bring uh, it down a bit so if we're talking oh, that's about better. if we're talking about Tommy Wiseau's personality uh, uh, oh god uh, no that's show my butt colder colder Sh- shut, shut it down my <laughs> shut it down abort abort okay so let's talk about Tommy Wiseau's personality again it's all f- basically from the room from some interviews and also the disaster artist which is uh, supposedly accurate um so, uh, Michael Drain, sir, e- expert of of personality. Mm. What can we say about his personality that we haven't said already? So, I hadn't actually considered the intellectual disability until Corey had brought it up to me earlier today. Uh, and when she first said it, I dismissed it. I was like, no. And then, as we've been talking about it, I could see how it would be mild. It could be there. Yeah. It could be mild. Well, so it could be mild. One in terms of a global. Uh, G as they call it, but it could also be a capacity to understand um, social cues, as they say, yeah. or or even like how to think through things when you're emotional or something. Right. But there's, yeah, there's also, and Berto accurately pointed out, he's got some actual physical things that look like there could be some paralysis there, which is... He had a brain injury, apparently, so that could be it. Yeah, yeah. He right. might have had a brain. Might he had have. an accident. Might have. I mean, the, he, the guy just says shit, so you don't yeah. really know. Yeah. Um, but but so there's definitely that that would impact his decision making, and seems to he doesn't really seem to. If the movie is to be believed in the way he's portrayed, it's about he just kind of wanders through life. He's got an apartment in uh, L.A. He's got an apartment in San Francisco, which would be super expensive. Uh, so he has money, and he doesn't really seem to have a plan. He just kind of does things. Um, he makes friends, and then the way he... I think I think he's got some attachment stuff going on. My theory is that he... Well, so after we watched A Disaster Artist, yeah. which maybe we should just briefly touch on for a okay. second. You, uh, we, we walked into the aisle, and you turned to me, and you, your body was physically... <laughs> animated with I could tell you had sentences behind your body yes, jerkings did, you're man. just like oh my god but in your head I could see the gears turning like wait we're gonna podcast wait, yeah. about this so maybe I should hold this sentence in but I want to say so I want to hear that <laughs> but let's talk about the movie The Disaster Artist Berto how many how many Berto's out of 3.14 would you give The Disaster Artist oh first of all I give it nine Berto's and second of all do you guys know we missed the end of credits scene Oh, there was. With Tommy Wiseau. Yes, I know. I read about that, too. Oh, we got to see it again. What happens? Yeah. I, I know what happens. I don't want... Do you want to... Yeah. Okay, it's just a brief scene where uh, James Franco, as Tommy Wiseau, walks out of some of the theater or something, and then there's this character that the real Tommy Wiseau is supposed to be playing, but 
Tommy Wiseau was like, I'll wear these glasses and I'll paint mustache or whatever. But it's obviously him, you know. <laughs> but he's playing this character. And he intended for that scene to be in the movie. So he, he like wrote it into the contract that that scene had to be in the movie. But he intended it to be like part of the movie. <laughs> and then they were like, well, we can't use this except we'll put it at the end. And, and apparently they have a little brief conversation. I don't know all the details. But James Franco goes like, where are you from? New Orleans? <laughs> and then that's like the joke there. It's but uh, I haven't seen it. I just read like what it was about. I really want to see it. Drain, what do you think? How many, how many, how many drains would you give this? Oh, one? geez, I would give it the the most endearing one. Wait, no, no, the, no, no, disaster no. Artist. disaster artist. Oh, um, uh, eight. Okay, like a strong, strong ass movie made yeah. me. F- what you, What'd you like about it? Uh, well, if <sighs> I don't know. So, Corey, you were saying that this is uh, Franco's breakout role. Wasn't that something? I read that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I agree with that. I think it's. I think he kind of just. He did a great job uh, nailing Tommy Wiseau. I just. I don't know. It was funny. It kept me entertained the entire time. Uh, What I liked about it was the same reasons I liked the room because it's it's uh, this really awkward situation and having having just watched the room, it was almost like an explanation behind the scenes (laughs) DVD special (laughs) about what the hell that was. Right. I think I have another reason why we love these two movies actually is because everyone loves to see people spend money. At least I do. (laughs) I love to watch people spend money. Like if someone has millions of dollars, it's just fun to watch them like waste their money. Drop it like a tad. You know, it's just, it, it, like, um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia is anyone watched oh, that yeah. TV show? Frank, you know, he's always like wasting his money. It's just, it's funny to watch a rich person spend their money. Anyway, Corey, how many, how many Corey's would you give this one? Damn, I think it was so good. I think it was very well made. It was close to the story. I think that my timing of watching the two together was perfect. Mm-hmm. I love that I didn't really know anything about filming The Disaster Artist and that I researched it afterward. Um, it has been really cool, though, to see like how involved James Franco was in like learning about Tommy, especially as we've been talking about like, um, you know, kind of being careful with it. And I think that they, the disaster artist, did a really good job at not just laughing at him because there is a lot to laugh at. But it's like there's not like he told his story so emotionally and so well, and to hear and to read like how connected he was to the character, or I'm sorry, to the person um, that Tommy is. And then, like, see the scene side by side. I thought that was a great ending. I thought the start of having all the celebrities there, like, oh, the room is amazing. That was a really cool intro. Yeah, you're um, totally right. It's a, there were some heartstrings tugged at the end there yeah. too. It wasn't yeah, just a total watch it bashing was, of this oh, guy. There was right. a, there were some moments of empathy where it really yeah. puts you in his perspective yeah, like especially when Berto said that he was Dracula I, I felt sad because the disaster artist made me feel like he didn't want to be seen that way right yeah, like when you he understand wanted to be the hero this guy's yeah. motives and how badly he wants to be accepted yeah and then it, he's just he's like increasingly not accepted uh, up until this this climactic moment of the movie where everybody is laughing at him yeah, yeah it could have yeah. easily been a kind of frat boy make fun of this guy movie right but right. as you're saying it it pulls at your heartstrings. It it definitely is a heartwarming story in this very pe- 
peculiar way. You yeah. Know? So I think they make Tommy look really good too. Like especially at the beginning, like you said, frat boy. Like I assume you're talking about like, oh hi Mark, Greg Sestero, and he's there as this like kind of vanilla protagonist, and he needs all this confidence that his new friend has. Well, I mean, frat boy, like, haha, isn't it funny how stupid this guy is? And just make yeah. the because like James Franco and Seth Rogen, you know. They're kind of like that that frat boy humor, you know, and yeah. and they it, this this movie could have easily just turned into like a just a silly parody of the guy, you know. What yeah, I mean? that's true. But it so actually they put some heart into it. Yeah, but it actually has a character arc to Greg and to Tommy that you know is the stuff of actual well written movies, you know, and right. and it's probably accurate, you know what I mean? Because I'm I was trying to watch it. The one thing about the movie where I was like, uh. That probably is is not how it went. What? Which was the first screening. And and maybe you guys know the details on this. But like he made the full transition from, oh my God, everyone's gonna make this this is gonna be my Oscar moment. So in the span of watching the room from yeah. the beginning to the end at the premiere when all the people were there, he went from he went through all the stages, you know. Yeah. He was like, I hope this is gonna be an Oscar. Oh, people are kind of not. I don't. Are people liking this? Oh my God! Now they're laughing. I'm a disaster. I'm terrible. You know, I'm a loser. Greg Sestero comes out, convinces him. They and then and then he gets up on stage and says, "I meant it like that." Like to me, it 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 seems like it would have taken longer for that right. to happen. You know, so, like so that's that was the yeah, point that's I was what making, was saying. which is that um, I thought the same thing. But in listening to the interviews and and what you were saying that he that's uh, what he does what that's Michael his, was that's saying his go to is defense that, mechanism is oh I meant to do that yeah and actually Ugh, I know so many people according like that. to Greg Sestero himself and stuff he basically immediately immediately switched gears and capitalized on the the opportunity really which is why it makes me wonder just how unclever he is because but, or how, at least how how able to like. Self reflect in the moment or something. But, man, but yeah, Greg Cicero walked yeah. him through that process. He didn't do well, that on his own. Yeah, well, in the movie he did. Well, I, I have a know. speculation on that too that we yeah. can get in terms of attachment. But, but just, you know, it's 2020. It's like, man, he's a genius. But imagine up until the premiere, think about everything oh, up until no, that yeah, point. Of course. I mean, we're talking like, Stupid decision after the next. I, I mean, yeah. just in the script alone. No, no, I'm, and and not I'm saying so- nothing about genius at all. I'm saying simply that I, I would expect someone the way he seems to be to have taken years to get over that. Well, demolishing so, so let's so let's get into the main hypothesis, which I think was what your wiggling was happening at the end of the movie, yeah, that's which right. is which is that he's borderline, borderline, right. yeah, and. I read your mind in that moment. <laughs> now, I've I've said this on the podcast before to you listeners out there. For some reason, I'm I'm either seeing borderline everywhere because I have I have a pretty broad definition of the personality and the the DSM label is reserved for a very extreme particular subtype of borderline personality overall. But also, my other supposition that I've talked about before is that movies and TV shows love to portray borderline for some reason. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's. Do you think they understand that that's what they're doing? Though? No, I don't think. I don't think they know. Well, I don't think they're setting out to be like, "We're I'm going to portray borderline." But you know, the cable guy, uh, oh. girl interrupted. Oh, so good. Um, you know, there's something about someone who is mm. so desperate for a friend and so awkward and and gets so ups- overly re- and overreacts to minor rejections. There's something very compelling 
about that sort of personality. And yet, know? how much yeah. can we blame this on Hollywood if this is supposed to be an accurate portrayal of a real guy? That's what true. What do you mean? The disaster artist. The disaster artist is based on a real person. So how much can we really say in this case, although I completely agree with you, yeah. as far as cable, cable guy and girl interrupt oh, and I see all what that. You're saying. But but in this movie, Tommy Wiseau, it's a it's a based on true events sort of thing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I was thinking about that too, and the disaster artist is based on the book written by Greg Sestero. Right. Right. And there are and it, there are so many hallmarks of borderline throughout the movie that are from the book, that are from Greg Sestero's, you know, memory of this whole thing, that make me think that it's pretty accurate. You know what I mean? And they're specialized hallmarks because you're hearing it from the point of Greg Sestero, which would be the equivalent of hearing it from the person of, like, when you're in a borderline's life, you experience that in a very unique sort of way. Right. And so his tellings in the movie, the way they come off from his point of view, right. is there's the way I'm seeing it. There's codependencies between Right. Them. Yes, the stalkery sort of qualities where he can show up sometimes and um, he right. gets uh, super attached. He's very fast to rejection. And, right. Um, right. And all over the place. from what I understand, the book has much more of it, actually. Uh, and I and bec- because James Franco wanted to make Tommy Wiseau likable, essentially. Yeah, yeah but I, I was going to say one of the reasons I think uh, the Disaster Artist movie is does not feel like it's just poking fun at Tommy Wiseau is uh, James Franco did not start from seeing the movie. He had never seen the movie. He read the book mm-hmm. and he was so taken with this story of this friendship and this like dreamers and all this stuff that he's like, I want to make this story. And then he watched the movie and then he kind of got the joke and got into it. And that's a very different way to start that project. Because you could imagine, like you were saying, someone that's just seen the room endlessly is like, dude, I got to make a, right. a spoof of this or something, right? right, right. But that's not how it started. Right. And, and actually, he pointed something out, James Franco did, that was that, uh, you know, we were talking about, like, why do we find it so entertaining or so compelling? And he was saying, it's not just because it's a ridiculous movie, but it's because there is heart in the center. Yeah. Like, Tommy Wiseau, can, you can say anything you want about him, but the guy is an honestly passionate human being although not to confuse with an honest human being human being yeah this is fair he's an honestly passionate human being and that comes through even though it comes through in a sort of distorted way that maybe we shouldn't make so much fun of but but it is there so this might be as good of a time to throw this in because we've been talking about it uh tommy wiseau when the book came out disaster artist initially said it was 40 percent accurate Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, I read that too. He and then, then he said the movie was... Then he said the movie was 99% accurate. Yeah. Now, you got to consider the arc of what was happening. In 2003, this was a huge joke, and nobody liked it. And then it slowly built uh, built fame over time. Then the Disaster Artist book comes out, and it frames Tommy in probably a pretty good, bad light by what you're saying, Kirk. It has more borderline kind of stuff in there, so right. um, not favorable things to Tommy Wiseau. But then you fast forward to now, oh, the movie's 99% accurate. Well, that's convenient because it's doing really well, and it's making you look good. Right. Well, it, but it also makes him look bad, you know? And, does, and, yeah. and so it's interesting that he would allow that, you know what I mean? Because I don't think many people walk out of the movie going like, Tommy Wiseau, man, he's he's a stand up nice fellow. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's he, true. The the movie for a pretty solid amount of the time, you're just like Jiminy Crickets Wiseau. Like, calm down. Like, <laughs> yeah. give Sistero a break. I mean, yeah. especially that scene where Sistero's moving out with his girlfriend, played by the woman from the Community, and from. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, Mad Men. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and uh, whom I love. I, whom she, I love. She's too. hilarious. But uh, I've heard her on podcasts. She's on like the Nerdist sometimes. Anyway, um, she, uh, it, you know, and him are going to move into their play to a place together, and was and they're talking about it. And I and so this was one of those stories where I was where I was like. It sounds so believable given the pattern that was that had developed prior to that. You know what I mean? Um, so, and Wizzo gets really upset. You know, he he's just it, that feeling of betrayal. Like, like how dare you? Now uh, the facts are just like, well, it makes sense. Sestero is a straight guy. He you know just went to LA to live at his place cuz he didn't have anywhere else to go now he has somewhere else to go he has a girlfriend he they're still friends they can still yep. Wizzo and Sistero can still be friends but because he's moving out to someone who has been relationally traumatized as an early child and abandoned any movement away and this is kind of a big one i mean when you yeah. when a roommate moves out of your place especially that to small, follow the dream together a small little like barely bigger than a studio apartment yeah. that Wizzo is behind a curtain <laughs> uh, it, and, but a nice sort of vampire yeah. <laughs> um, it feels it feels like a hurtful distancing act and the person feels very betrayed and then they get very hurt and then they get very angry and then they lash out which is what Tommy Wiseau does ha- have we we haven't mentioned the like the homosexual possibility right which which we can but I mean, do you have any data on that? Because well, no, just from, I'm only going from the movie, and I mean from the disaster artist. Yeah, in that, not from the room. In the disaster artist, they seem to hint. First of all, we never see Tommy with a woman other than in the movie, or with a man, or with a man. That's fair, but we do see him very obsessed with Mark or with Greg, and. Uh, they throw that line in, which it may just be in the movie, of course, but they throw that line in. It's like, I, you know, I want him to see my ass. I want you to see my ass. <laughs> right? So I was thinking, like, maybe he's got romantic feelings towards Greg, and that makes everything harder. Yeah. I mean, it. that's definitely a possibility, given the data. Uh, what'd you, did you have data? Just anecdotal. I've had patients that have, um, you know, they, they, they hardcore border the lines borderline the the they balance the line of um they they attach to somebody in this case it was it was uh greg sestero and it it can become so close they want that intimacy to be so close that they're willing to cross uh lines they'll yeah. they'll want to snuggle in bed they'll want to be very uh physical hold hands that sort of stuff but yeah. outside of that relationship they haven't traditionally been you know uh homosexual or whatever good yeah Corey, what do you think did do you think Wizzo is uh, bi or or gay? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, watching the disaster artist, I had the same hunch that Bardo did, especially when he was like, "What? You don't want to share a bed with me?" Um, you know, kidding, but, so, kidding. <laughs> but there's really no way to tell. I don't think. Yeah, I, to me, it's like could be, could be, and doesn't really matter. Yeah, ultimately. it's like it. You know that because the story felt to me, at least the way it was presented in the movie, as friends. You know, yeah. Wizzo never. According to the movie, never right. over and and was and Sestero probably would have written about that if if it right. happened. And the room was based on a um, heterosexual relationship. That's right. That so, he wrote nailed it, Corey. About. That's so well, true. Was it though? Yeah. Right. And well, who's the real maybe. life Lisa? I so wish I she thought existed. That, yeah. So so that so that's the other part of this right. is that when you have been relationally 
abandoned as a child, and then you grow up and you engage in relationships. Whether Lisa was a stand-in for a man or a woman doesn't really matter. The point is, is that if you just look at the way he wrote the Lisa character, right. it's a classic borderline projection of all you do is use me. You don't. You never cared about me to begin with. You're. You just you're you're having sex with my best friend. My best friend doesn't even really love you know isn't isn't good to me. I I should kill myself. What's the point? Um, now I have a lot of listeners who label themselves as borderline, so I'm not saying that everyone is like this. But it is a spectrum. It's a spectrum. But the point is is that when you are relationally abandoned and betrayed as a child, you have actual PTSD and trauma reaction from that. Then when you engage in a relationship and the person starts to kind of move away from you, 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 you start – you write a story about that other person because of how horrible you feel on the inside. It feels so bad. I mean it feels bad for anyone to be dumped. You know what I mean? Whenever any of us get dumped, we have hurt feelings and we start – and we, at the very least for a temporary amount of time, we'll write a very negative narrative of the other person. But for a borderline, when they put, they put all their emotions in you, their right. identity is in you. Right. So when you leave, it's ripping out their entire – their guts, their soul, their identity, exactly. everything they feel like they stand on. Right, exactly. And so the whole – the room story arc is one of a borderline person who – is at the very and at the very end kills himself spoiler alert right uh, when he didn't have to you know what i mean he could have been like man my best friend was a dick and that and that woman that i was engaged to uh geez man i, I dodged a bullet what on a that psycho. one yeah like what a crazy person to to treat me so badly and to basically just be like she's she's a psychopath i mean she is a psychopath right if you just look at her character, um, it, it is interesting because if you if you analyze the writing, since he wrote the script, there's this part where uh, she's saying, uh, "Tommy's so, or uh, Johnny's so good, he's paying for for Danny's tuition and all these things." Yeah, Johnny is all good. Johnny's Lisa all good. is all bad. Yeah, and then the second later, the same character that's speaking well about Johnny is like, "I hate him. I don't like him." So you gotta kind of think that's his model of how people. He's doing everything mm-hmm. right, and people just, without any reason, hate him. Another feature of Borderline, the right. black and white thinking and the I'm right and you're wrong, and, and I can't see it any other way because I'm so hurt. There's no other possibility other than you did this to me. Right. Like when he was treating the cast – actually, when he was treating the actress – again, I know it's just in The Disaster Artist, so we don't know exactly what happened. But assuming that it was sort of like that where he was putting her down – which is another reason, by the way, that my suspicions is that he's sitting there trying to do a love scene with this woman. And he's like, oh, you look disgusting. Right. Like in his mind, that's perfectly reasonable. She had a mole on her like, shoulder. Oh, or yeah. You have a pimple. Oh, this is gross. <laughs> and it's like, what? Who does that? Right. In his mind, he's like, uh, that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. And it's perfectly reasonable to yell at everyone. But as soon as they start, as soon as he sees them talking bad about him, <gasps> he's this victim. Terrible victim. Right. So. Men who have borderline are harder to detect because the profile of a man with borderline isn't talked about as often because of our notions of personality and gender. But he had all he had a, a number of other signs. For example, he became paranoid about what other people thought of him, and then he would film them secretly on set to catch them talking bad about him. So, so that's another borderline 
uh, indicator. Pair that with the hypervigilance that he had to be that paranoid in the first place. Right, Very exactly. aware of what everybody's thinking. Yeah, it's, it's just like, because, again, as a child, you were drastically mistreated, you have a general feeling like mistreatment is just around the corner or happening right now, and I don't know it. Um, they also will become uh, violent sometimes with partners. So I assume, or just I have a hypothesis, that Wizzo, before the room, had a relationship with someone, uh, I'm guessing a woman based on the, who knows, and actually did become violent with that person when that person decided to draw boundaries or something. Wow. And and then, because it's a common, now, I'm not accusing him of that, obviously, I have no sure, idea. Sure, no, no, no. But, or he was being intimidating or something, you know, because that's one other thing that people who have been relationally traumatized will resort to because they're so desperate to keep you close that they'll, you know, they'll try a lot of things and when those don't work, they might resort to actual control through physical intimidation and men are more likely to do that because they're taught to be those ways, you know. And then, and he, but he didn't, but because of his distorted thinking, in that previous relationship, he's like, I didn't, what are you talking about? I'm not abusive or something. And that whole storyline's in. Oh, I didn't hit her. I did not. I yeah. did not. Yeah. Which is, which uh, seems to come out of nowhere. You know, I mean, right. a, lot, a lot of things come out of nowhere in the room. Right. But that's one of those major things. Like, when did this topic Yeah, when come did out? anybody yeah. accuse you of that? Yeah. And, and his character wasn't abusive in any way. It right. Was, it was, hi, Lisa, I brought you flowers. I love you. Yeah, oh, I mean, you're so from my girl. But that, <laughs> yeah. but that was exactly it. Yeah, he portrays himself as the character as... He's doing everything right, perfectly. Think about it. Flowers. Well, saying everything about the princess yeah. and stuff. And she, without provocation, but accuses when him. When a borderline right. is sitting in your office telling you the story of what happened to them, that's how it goes. Right. They they are completely without fault. Right. It, so it's always highly skewed, like there's some awesome person always, like he is. Yeah, it's like when he goes to the flower shop, she's like, oh, I knew it was you. And then there's the dog that's perfectly sitting there. Oh, hi, doggy. And he knows the guy on the street. Yeah. Well, that's a little different. That's so that's more of the narcissistic side, I would, I would say. Yeah, because he has this grandiose streak that's probably yeah. unrelated to anything. This yeah. just want to be a star. Well, when you are again, mistreated as a child, you might resort to a section of your consciousness that says, I am, I'm awesome, and I need to prop up myself as an awesome person because other people are treating me like crap. And so I'm going to delude myself that I'm a worthy person because if I believe what I'm being taught, my ego falls through the floor. So you prop up this narcissistic vision of yourself right. that is very... Um, uh, unrelated to reality, shall we say, because when you were a child, you learned not to depend on reality to give you self-esteem. And so that kind of shows through in the, in the movie as well. The problem is, is that your whole identity is in other people. So relationships come and go throughout your life. So whenever those relationships end, he starts back to the beginning. So right. his, his, just like any narcissist, it's extremely fragile. Right. It's so, based on what other people think. Right. So when we go to his actual real life story in The Disaster Artist, we see the same thing. Enter Wizzo in the beginning of the story. He doesn't really have any friends and he's, and he's trying, he's acting, he's trying to be something. Something, he's trying to be, you know... Yeah. Famous. He's trying to be an actor. You know, he's trying to be uh, who are the James Dean and these other people. Yeah. And then he meets Greg Sestero. Now, Greg Sestero's personality is a perfect match for the Wizzos of the world. And that Sestero also lacks a self in a similar way, but in a less outwardly destructive way. Good point, man. Because because Sestero and there are a lot of other people that probably bumped into Wizzo during that time and were just like. 
whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, like, too much. Get away. Yeah, like uh, like the dude in the restaurant in the movie. Right. So he's in the <laughs> restaurant, and and Wazo's like, you know, let's act. You know, and Sestero's like, you know, because Sestero doesn't have the confidence or the development yet. Wazo invades Sestero's personality and gives Sestero. A, something to do, you know, gives him confidence through, through you know, Wizzo's personality is so, so over the top that it, that Sestero depends on Wizzo to give him purpose. You and know? if you look at the yeah. movie, that's how he was originally attracted to him is by watching him kind of freak out on stage. Right. And, and, uh, and I was actually referencing the other restaurant scene where he approaches a producer or a oh, movie, uh, like some sort of industry insider. Yeah, who was that guy? I know Judd he was super Ad- famous. Oh, right, right, right. But he was okay. playing some random famous or uh, muckety-muck or something. And then he goes up to him, tries his usual stuff, and with him it doesn't work at all. Right. He's just like, get this guy out because of here. Because <laughs> Judd Apatow has his personality. He doesn't need people in his life. Anybody he has in his life, he's choosing to have in his life, which is like the hallmark of like a solid person. But right. this guy is not like that. Right. And there are several moments where... You see Sestero, and you're just like, dude, why are you putting up with this? You're yeah. right, though. You are nailed it, man. It, yeah, Sestero dude. has a beta kind of personality. He's underdeveloped. He's living at home with his mom. He's wanting to strike out. He wants to be famous. He's going to acting classes. He has no gateway there. Borderlines are extremely good at reeling you in and, and making you think that you're amazing and awesome. They've become adept at this because that's how they, that's how they get you in close in the beginning. Right, because... They w- desire naturally closeness to make naturally. them feel secure and sure. wanted, and blah blah blah. Um, right. So, so I think the move, and we should just. I want to also just throw in there that there's domestic violence essentially happening between Wizzo and Sestero during this, during this, during the disaster artist. Uh, if we're to believe yes. that the, you know, it's it's not violent. Remind but, me what happens. Well, Sestero is afraid he's intimidated yeah. you know yeah. because uh, eventually Wizzo gets uh, particularly Sestero but a lot of other people dependent on him in terms of his paycheck and then he proceeds to abuse in fact I think that's another thing they toned down for the movie which is that Wizzo was like way worse on on set than they actually portrayed yeah, yeah. he could have been recreating some kind of family yeah, network trauma. Right. So, right. So, not only do you want people to be close to you naturally, but you also have all this inner anger and resentment and rage regarding your childhood that needs to be projected onto other people. And so, you get people dependent on you through through paying all of them, including your best friend Sestero, giving yeah. him a place to live. Right. And yeah. then now you have power over him, and now you can actually play out that reenactment of being and, and why so is a pretty solitary guy if it's to be believed he makes one friend at a time if he has anybody so i think the movie set almost might have created like this 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 family that he was able to reenact uh aggression and, and anger and hurt feelings and take them out on the, these people who i think he has i think he was hurt as a from a relationship but i think he i don't think that would have been enough i think he has probably some childhood stuff as well oh yeah absolutely like childhood. second like abused twice you know traumatized twice well the main personality genesis was mistreatment as a child sure and all, and all. but but not so bad that he's not hospitalable you know what i mean yeah i i can relate to the yeah, like when he's trying to pay for not only his movie to be made, but sort of like for everyone to do what he wants, right? Like I can relate to that. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I've talked 
pretty sure I've talked about this before on the podcast. But uh, we were just talking about the other day about how people retell the same stories. And in podcasts, it doesn't matter so much because you probably haven't heard all the podcasts. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> but I, um, you know, when I was younger, my MO was a lot of times, oh, I'll just pick up the tab for everyone. Or I will, I will like invite random people from work that are not my friends to some big dinner. I'm talking about like 20 people or something. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, get, the, I'll get the check. And thinking in my head, that's how I'm going to connect with these people. That's how I'm going to become friends with them. But I didn't. But consciously, I don't have any intention of being their friends. I don't feel I have anything in common with so them. So why do you do it? But, well, my only theory was like, A, I had also fear of like abandonment, right? And also, I had like, from my mom, I had seen her try to address love with money and financial uh, security. So you saw that's how... You got attention, so you're I think so. To yeah, that. and and I didn't notice it at first, obviously, because you know you're young, you're just doing things. Yeah, but I remember some friends would point out to me like the the worst one was this one time where I had a birthday party. This is before I knew you, I think. Yeah, it was it was before I knew you. I had this birthday party, and I invited, I think like thirty people from work or something. Like it was a ridiculous amount of people, and out of them, I only think I could count maybe three or four actual friends. And yet I invited them to the Wild Ginger downtown Seattle. Might it have been your 30th birthday party? No, it was before that. Oh. It was like, <laughs> I was like 20-something. Kirk's like, but, I went to that one. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was, it was before that. And it was at the Wild Ginger, and it was like... Oh, that's like a fancy restaurant. Fancy. And so I spent god, ungodly amounts of money on this dinner, and my, my friend afterwards like, made a joke about it. Did you it. get naked and make everyone look at your butt? No, not that time. <laughs> that was but, not a pleasant scene. But uh, but you know, but I was like, I was like. But his butt's better than Wiseau's butt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I was like, you know, why did I do that? And it was, I, I that's when I started sort of like realizing, oh, okay, I think, I think in my head, if I spend money, it means these people will love me or something. Well, and another element to this that we thought of years ago when I first presented projective identification to you was that you were unconsciously creating a situation in which you were bound to be rejected because mm, you, right. were, you were inviting all these people who, who one, either they're not close to you or two, might even be exploiting you because right. they're just like, well, I don't really li- know or like that guy, but he's paying for dinner. Paying so, for dinner right. so, so it sort of attracts a, an element because you would do this at bars too. So you, it sets up for failure. And for rejection yeah. of and for exploitation. The which relationship we, isn't genuine to begin with. And, and right. so, but then I somehow need that rejection. Well, you're recreating right. the rejection exploitation that you felt as a child, right? You know, yeah. Which you know. So I can I can relate to uh, that aspect of yeah. So <laughs> so let's conclude with future predictions. Like, what does the future hold for Tommy Wiseau? Corey? Ooh, I have a good one. Yeah, he recently tweeted. To please put him in the new Star Wars movie. <laughs> As a villain? No, no, no. Well, I don't know. He wants lightsaber. He would be a great Sith. <laughs> That's a real think thing. He recently it. got a Twitter. I don't think he's going to have a good reaction to being proposed as the villain. He wants to be like Luke Skywalker. I think knows, he'll be whoever yeah. he can get. Yeah, that's moment. probably yeah. true. Oh, I hope they And then rationalize it later. I also, I also heard on the internet today that he wants to make a Star Wars movie. Oh, nice. what? please, yes. <laughs> Any other predictions? What do you think is going to happen to Wazo here? Because mm. I, I think 
we're at peak Wiseau right now. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? so that's like, what I was going to say. Yeah. He, this might be his 15 minutes of fame. On the other hand, I guess he's made some movies throughout the years. Yeah, but and in his way, he's been very famous. I mean, that that theater was lit up. People were going crazy for that shit. Yeah. Yeah. That reminded me of Rocky Horror Picture Show, like yeah. when people go see... I've never yeah. actually done it, but I assume that's kind of what it's like. Yeah. Dressing up. Yeah, but more energy, because the, the times I've gone to Midnight uh, Rocky Horror... Not nearly as as populated or as energetic as that. People was. Nice. got up on the stage, dressed in costume of the characters during the sex scenes of the movies, and danced in front of everybody while the sex scenes were going on. Yeah, yeah. I amazing. love the part where they're like, "What music? What candles? What sexy dress?" Because he really did say that, and there literally were none of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so, yeah, I, I don't know. No predictions, I, really. But my my prediction is that. Yeah, this is peak, and he's just going downhill from here. Because unless he figures out a really clever way to, because he has to keep creating, he can't just if if he doesn't create anything new. Like, there's a new movie coming out with him and Sestero in it. My suspicion is it's not going to suck. It's not going to be amazing. Yes, because they're trying to they're gonna they're gonna be trying to make a movie, right? And it'll probably be. In that bad but almost good zone, and they'll you know? they'll have that money behind it and producers behind it that will try yeah. to make it good and just totally fuck it up. The, yeah. So unless Wizzo and his people can somehow come up with something very clever, like Sasha Baron Cohen is a genius with this because he had a genius character Borat, which was hilarious. Loved it. And then he had a, another character, Ollie G, which is a whole other awesome funny character, and then a whole other funny character, Bruno. And each time it was like, it was good, you know? And I, so I, I have a hard time believing that Wizzo is going to be going to do that. If he does, uh, good, good for him. But I, th- I think he's on the way down. But here's the other thing. He loves fame, right? Like, I don't think he's going to go down quiet. No. So, so <laughs> I, 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 think, I think that... I, Ooh, I pre- something bad? Yeah, I, I predict... Oh, no. This, yes. is, this is how these stories go, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, Shit. like five years from that. now, he'll be in prison for... Right. Or worse, he he might actually try to kill himself Now, listen, listen. I think, I think we're blowing this out of proportion, because let's think about this. In the room, he was probably 35 minimum. Losing fame is really no, no, hard. Wait, wait, wait. And Hold for on. somebody of his personality, Hold on. Wait, wait, he's not going to take it. Personally, wait. I think he was... In his early 40s or mid-40s. Okay, even yeah. better. So yeah. let's right. go with your theory. Let's say 40. When he made The Room, he was 40. And remember, at that age, he was already a millionaire. Now, what he chose to do with his money, fine. But he clearly had money. Then he makes this movie. And then what could have been a disaster ending his career and then going back to bank work or whatever, he instead turns it into this little vaudeville show that he's kept up for years and years. Now at the peak of its... 14 years later is more popular than I've ever been. They make a movie out of it. He gets even more fame. But remember, he's now in his 60s. Probably with more money than when he started. What does he have to... Like, there's no... He doesn't need to go anywhere from this. The moral he's of done this, Bergo, well, money, is that money cannot yeah. buy you happiness. No. Yeah. No, the moral of this story is like, which one of us wouldn't kill for that kind of trajectory? But, I don't know. you know, he doesn't... He obviously doesn't care about money, Birdo. He wants fame. Well, yeah. Take whatever you want. He, he wants got the money. Love. He got the fame. He got the love. But eventually, and he's in his sixties. But eventually, the he's mon- lived the life. The he fame, didn't get the love. His the, best friend said he was a disaster artist. Well, he gets. He gets the. He gets the. 
public love. No, no, and and he's, he's been friends with Greg. Yeah, the whole because time. of the disaster artist. No, no, no. He's James Franco did him a favor. Time. But when that dries up, which no. it will in I think a couple guys, years, I think yeah, you I guys agree. are not looking at it through the right lens. I hope you're right, man. I, but I mean, you're not. I'm just saying, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> most most people in I mean, ninety nine point nine percent of the world's population will never have a fraction of the success this guy's enjoyed. Not a fraction. Right. Well, you don't right. actually believe that's a. That's a valid predictor of human behavior, do you? What are you, what are you talking about? Well, if like, anything, that's going to mess him up when it goes No, no, away. no. What I'm saying is most of the world goes through their life, you know, but having no a one, job, no one and looks they don't at really the, make their no goals. One, no one takes into account the rest of the world when they're thinking about their own emotions. Unless they're borderline. No, but what I'm trying to say is, like, I don't, I don't feel anything but, like, awe and admiration for how his life has gone. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Yeah, the I'm happy for I'm super happy so for him. Passion, Even if he does nothing confidence. else for the rest of his life, he's already done it. He did so, it. Yeah. So, so when when someone creates, like Francis Ford Coppola makes The Godfather 1, he just stops. No, of course not. Okay. But that's different. He goes on to make other movies and he, then he proceeds to make some bad movies. Yes. Then he proceeds to make more bad movies. Yeah. <laughs> and he just keeps trying to like get back to his original glory. But remember, this is not like a 30-year-old. He's in his 60s, right? He's had a career. So he's going to die before it matters? Is that no, what you're saying? I mean, like, well, I'm, I'm we, just we, saying, like, I don't think this is a, a little fragile well, okay, creature we just pulled out of the, you know. He's been in the limelight in his own community for years. And yeah, he's so, now, that's, so that's one possible know, thing is, like, he continues to be called to speak at live or at you know showings of the room for the, for the rest of his you know years and that's enough fame uh, a jujube for his you know fame bucket agreed uh, uh, i mean another way to look at it is if he was going to off himself or be depressed it might have been when he looked at the reality of having spent 6 million dollars and everyone's laughing at his thing no and it didn't and he never did, and in fact, he doubled, tripled well, okay. down on so it. So I want to get back to that because you mentioned that before. Is that's all in line with my my very loose hypothesis based on what I see his personality being? This is a different topic that I'm talking about right now, which is that he he doesn't want he never wanted to be a respected uh, Hollywood director or actor, or maybe he thought he wanted that, but what he wanted, given his his very deep mistreatment as a child is just a hypothesis is attention and and love and people just people just paying attention to him you know noticing him i mean think about the way he dresses with his with those belts and everything you know <laughs> that hair it's like it's like deadpool yeah he wants someone to to like notice him he doesn't want to be ignored you know so that's another movie fatal attraction that's a suppose you know you could say that's about borderline uh, you know i'm, I'm not going to be ignored david or whatever <laughs> that, that line is um and so when he so he's desperately trying to get attention, like I'm going to win an Oscar, I'm going to win an Oscar, and then when everything falls apart and everyone's laughing, it's like, well, but they're still paying attention to me. There's still a reaction, you know. Everyone still is is you know the attention is pointed at me, even if they're, I guess they're laughing at my creation. And, I don't and, care. And extremely niche, right? Very few people in the grand scheme of things, right? And it's like, but this whole crowd is. You know that that's what they say, right? It's like you the worst review on iTunes is a three star review, right? 
Sure. What you want is a is a bunch of fives and like and a bunch of ones, yeah. right? You know, you, if you get a three star review, it's like uh, you you didn't you didn't affect them either direction. You yeah. know what I mean? And so anyway, so all right, well that does it for that episode. Thanks for joining us, Corey and Michael Drain. You're quite welcome. Unpopular yeah, that was awesome. Culture. Go you, if you want to subscribe to the Unpopular Culture podcast. You can go to any podcast application on your phone and type in Unpopular Culture. You could also go to Patreon and become uh, piss patrons, Pisser. deserving Pisser. listeners, and also stalkers to both of our podcasts. But Kirk has a lot, a ton of backlog stuff. Uh, there are patron-only episodes that are fantastic. And you want to know psychology, you listen to his show. But what are you guys going to do after your episode you just did on Slenderman? That's peak Unpopular culture. I don't know if we want to... Are you guys going to go depressed? Oh, okay. We're not doing it. <laughs> Aw. It's going to be good, but we'll, we're not going to say yet, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we can say yet. Oh, still you're, not, you're not announcing it? No, not yet. Wanna, you don't want to... Not just okay. yet, no. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because... You deserve it.